while we are in our service today. Rebecca Hammond's sister-in-law is in Toronto receiving brain surgery. On Tuesday, uh, Guy Hammond's wife, uh, somebody knows her name, Diane? Kathy, thank you. Um, Kathy Hammond was diagnosed with, uh, with a, a rapidly growing aggressive brain tumor uh, to the point where they said she needs surgery and she needs it right now. And so uh, she was diagnosed on Tuesday. She is having surgery uh, right now as we speak. It started at 10 o'clock uh, here. So why don't we uh, just stop and pray and ask God to bless uh, this family. There are many of you who know Guy and his family. Uh, he's, he's been in ministry for years and years and years, uh, has a special ministry uh, uh, in the area of homosexuality and, and homosexual recovery. And so we're just, uh, we need to pray God's blessings on this family. Lord, I would pray special blessings on Kathy Hammond this morning, on Guy and the rest of their family, and certainly for Rebecca and all that she's going through as well. Father, we pray that you would bless this family with your healing presence and your hand upon her. God, we don't have a whole lot of control over some things in our lives. Not even doctors with incredible skill uh, have control over everything, but you do. And we believe that Kathy is absolutely in your hands this morning. And so we pray your richest blessings on her. We pray for healing. God, we don't always know what your will is. We, we pray that we can be more in line with your will in everything that we pray for. But, but we're sometimes ignorant. Sometimes we don't see the big picture. But right now, God, at this moment, in our way of understanding, we, we pray for her complete healing and we pray with faith. We know that you're quite capable of absolutely healing Kathy and we pray that you would. That's our prayer, God. We put her and her family completely in your hands this morning. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. The other thing I'll mention about uh, Rebecca is just that her mother in the last few days has kind of taken a, a turn quite downhill. She's been battling Alzheimer's for years and years and years. Um, there's not a whole lot of recognition at this point uh, between her and what's going on around her. And, uh, and it's just, it's exacerbated. It's getting worse. And uh, doctors have given her only days to, or weeks to live. And so we need to be reflecting on her family, Rebecca, their children, and certainly in, and now in the case of Kathy with this all going on, it's an awful lot for that family to endure. So we need to be praying for them. I need to uh, preface my comments this morning by saying that uh, all of this applies so directly to me, Okay. You know, sometimes preachers are a bit misunderstood. You know, you know what it feels like to be misunderstood, misinterpreted for people not to get you. I, re- I was telling Kevin uh, Clark this morning, I, I was reflecting on the very, one of the first times that I met Kevin and spent any time with him, we had arranged to have coffee. And so I like, I like to be pretty punctual with these kind of things. I, I'm, uh, you know, being late is not, I'm hoping is not one of my fortes. <laughs> I'm hoping that I'm usually on time. And I, I wanted to be on time, and I, you know, I was just kind of meeting Kevin for the first time. We arranged to have coffee. And so I went to the, to the place that he had told me that we were going to have coffee, or at least I thought I did. So I went into this place, and I can't remember. What was the name of the restaurant, Kevin? Do you remember? That coffee place that closed down? I don't remember either. It closed, it closed down, so I don't remember the name of it. But I went into this place, uh, and it was in Kensington. And I had I'd looked up the name of the restaurant. I had looked up the, the address and everything, and I went there. And I waited, and I waited, and waited, and Kevin's not showing up. And I'm thinking, well, at least it's not me. Um, 
So after a little while, Kevin calls me and he says, where are you? And I said, well, I'm at such and such a restaurant, like you, you, know, like you said. And, and he said, well, that's where I am. And I said, really? So I, like I took my cell phone, I start walking around the restaurant, and, I look, and I'm going around to all the places. It's not that big. I looked around, I said, you know, I, I'm looking all over this place, and you're not in here anywhere. And he said, well, that's where I am. I said, well, that's where I am. What's going on? And what we determined, this is, this, this is almost beyond belief. There were two restaurants of the exact same name, because they were owned by the same people, same name, like, you know, like McDonald's and McDonald's, right? So two, two restaurants of the exact same name on the exact same street, about 15 blocks apart. And I had gone to the other one, and he's sitting at the one. And I, I thought, you know, that, that, this is amazing that this could happen. But my biggest concern was Kevin who I don't even know at all, is going to misinterpret who I am. He's going to think, can't find the restaurant, late, irresponsible, you know, those kind of things. And actually, I was right on time at the restaurant with the right name and even on the right street. Like, how could this happen? Sometimes our best intentions, and even when we're being as responsible as we can be, are misunderstood. This morning is one of those possibilities because I'm going to say some things in my sermon this morning that are, like, I'm not kidding you here, folks. I'm going to hit you right between the eyes. And you're going to think, man, is he ever harsh? Man, is he ever judgmental? What a guy he is, this preacher of ours. And I want you to know that the things I'm going to say this morning that hit you right between the eyes hit me right between the eyes. Don't misunderstand. Don't think that I'm just preaching to everybody else this morning and I think I've got all this together, okay? Because I guarantee you, I know that I don't, okay? So that's the preface. Please take that to heart. And now turn to Matthew chapter 25. Oh, didn't put that slide in there. Matthew 25. This is on page 702 in the Pew Bibles. Page 702 in the Pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start with verse 14. The parable of the talents. And I'm just going to wait a second. I want you to turn there. I hope you go there in your Bibles. If nothing else, the kids are in here this morning. You should show your kids that when a sermon's being preached, you're looking at your Bible. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with the five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. 
Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent on the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and where, gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who is, has, uh, for everyone who has will, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if you think to yourself, Kelly's being a little bit harsh this morning. It's the Lord who said, throw him out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it sounds like the preacher this morning should be pounding on the pulpit a little bit. If we're going to have some weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know that it needs to be quite like that. But the point is, is that all of this is to be taken very seriously. Now, here are some things, some kind of comments I need to make about the situation that I want us to understand. The first is, these people are servants. That's what they're called. They are referred to as servants. And the fact is, is that there is a parallel between ourselves and our service to the Lord. We are servants of God. If you don't like the idea that you are a servant, then you have put yourself under somebody's lordship that maybe you don't want to be under his lordship. Because he indeed calls us servants, and these people are called servants. That's to be taken seriously. Second, they are all entrusted. And I think that's an interesting word. These are not servants who are just commanded. These are not, this relationship right here between the master and the servant is not such that they're just uh, forced in some way to do his bidding so that they can't get out of this. They are in fact entrusted. And that implies something different. There is relationship here. The master has given them something in the context of relationship where he's saying to them, "I'm, I'm doing something good. I'm doing something beneficial for you here in entrusting you with something. Where the servant would say, I'm glad that I have been entrusted. This is not a burden upon them, I think, is the idea. Uh, In fact, there is responsibility that each one has then in this case. And even, I think, a sense of privilege in being entrusted. It's as if they appreciate This opportunity. So that's a different mindset, and I think that needs to be considered uh, as we read this parable. And then, thirdly, they're entrusted in proportion to their ability. And this also is really important, I think, to get. The point is that the master is not expecting too much. In expecting so much from the one talent servant, for example, he's not expecting too much. He's not expecting for the fellow, uh, the fellow who doesn't know math at all or doesn't care for math to become a wonderfully responsible accountant. He's not expecting the fellow who was born with only one arm and one leg to be the one who rapidly plows all the fields. The master has been fair, in fact, with each one of them, equitable with each, giving each one an opportunity to succeed. 
So whatever burden it is that's placed on these different services, servants, it is absolutely the right kind of burden uh, for them. And then finally, their being entrusted includes on the part of the master high expectation. And I just want to cap here for a moment. It seems to me that there is an understanding on the parts of the master and all three of the servants. And that understanding regards expectation. Something significant is to happen. And something significant has been entrusted to the servants. At the end, when the servant has given only one talent, even he has some kind of responsibility that he's supposed to do with this. And at the end, when he doesn't do it, he says to the master, I knew you were giving me this talent with expectations. You're a harsh man. I recognize that. You expect things when you give away talents. And that's exactly what happened. You want me to harvest more than I'm sown, in a sense. That's what, the, that's what he says to the master. This is what you do, master. You actually try and harvest more than what you've sown. Well, that's pretty high expectations on the part of the master. He's, and he's putting that same kind of burden on the servants. So anybody would expect the harvest to be where you'd sow seed. He instead, the master, expects there would be harvest even where you haven't sown seeds. Wow. High expectations on the part of the master. And I think that there is a reason for that. And again, it's because the expectations are not unfair. The master has actually set them up for success. When he gives them something, and he gives it to them by his grace, he says, I'm going to give you this gift. You can do something here. I'm giving you an opportunity to succeed. And he even does it in proportion with their own abilities. So he doesn't give them all the same burden and say, here's a responsibility, and then, oh, no, the guy with one talent just can't meet up that responsibility. He's just not capable. Instead, he measures out the responsibility and gives them this opportunity to show their worth placing them in this position of privilege. And then they receive, the Bible says, they receive the talents. It's not as though he starts to give the responsibility to the one-talent guy, and he says, wait, no, stop, master, I can't do this. Don't give me this responsibility. Instead, the master gives him the responsibility, and the servant takes it. And I would say that all of that is some act of grace on the part of the master. And so the grace offered the servants is not then to be taken for granted. This is a gracious act that they're being given. And we need to be listening, I think, to this parable as those who in some sense parallel this act of grace. The grace offered to the servants comes with an expectation and hopefulness that everything the master wishes to be accomplished will be accomplished by the servants, who will then be given even more privilege because of the way they've exercised their responsibilities. With privilege, of course, comes responsibility, and clearly being responsible in light of the gracious privilege is not an option. We need to be responsible in light of this gracious privilege, not irresponsible. And God wants us to respond to this gracious act of giving us Jesus with some kind of responsibility. And in fact, at this point, the parable, I think, becomes incredibly clear, maybe more clear than any parable Jesus teaches. The master's grace 
in dispensing privilege comes with responsibility and expectation. To get that. At this point, Jesus is being incredibly clear in telling the parable. He does not hide what it is that he's trying to say. The point is that with the gracious gift of the talent being given to the servant comes high expectation and responsibility. Jesus is saying here, I expect something. Isn't it interesting that the story starts out about this master who's getting ready to leave and he leaves for a long time and then he comes back. What does this sound like? Like, what is Jesus trying to say? Is he not trying to say, I'm going to leave. And when I leave, while I'm gone, there is in fact great expectation and responsibility that becomes yours, my servants. And Jesus has a specific expectation allocated to each one in proportion with who they are in terms of what that should look like. And so it would be nice if we could all say, well, I don't really have all those responsibilities and expectations on me, say, the way Shane does. But you do have those expectations and responsibilities placed on you. And it doesn't matter whether you're the five-talent guy like Shane or the one-talent guy like Kelly. Either way, we have responsibilities that the Lord has given us. So the parable is speaking of a master who leaves for this long period of time, returns, and expects something. We need to get that through our heads. God expects something. And here's the thing. You and I, without exception, have been given talents. And I don't mean this morning talents in the sense of you have some special talent that no one else has. What I mean is right now that all of us, all of us have been given the talent or the gift, the responsibility of God's graciousness in Jesus. You all have that. We all do. And when God gives us his graciousness, he gives us this new life in him. We have some kind of responsibility and response to that that needs to be made. And so this isn't so much about proportions of gifting. Or even the notion, I guess, so much that you have a specific gift as much as you are given the gift and privilege of grace that comes with expectations. And you aren't given a gift just of any expectations, but of high ones. And even if, even if the expectations are in proportion with your abilities the abilities of each servant, they're still expectations. You know, it's like this. Are we all called to give financially to the church? Are we? Yeah, we are. All of us are called to give financially to the church. But how does the Bible instruct that we're going to be asked to live up to that responsibility? In proportion. And so if you have millions, you're expected to give way more than the person who has hundreds. That's just a fact. We are all, however, asked to live up to that responsibility. And this, with the talents, is in one sense no different. And so we can't make an excuse. We can't choose to not serve the Lord 
in some way and say, well, I don't have some ability. Because it seems to me that the grace of Jesus calls all of us to serve. And here's where I'm going to hit us all between the eyes. The most common thing said in response to a request by somebody for you to serve the Lord, the most common uh, request and response by far is, I don't have time. That's what all of you say. We can ask, would you do this? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Would you do this? I'm sorry, I don't have time. Would you do this? I'm sorry, I've got burdens. I just can't, I can't do that right now. And here's the thing that I've noticed. We all, every single one of us, when it comes to proportions of time, actually have the same. There isn't one of you who doesn't have 24 hours a day that's available to you. Not one of you. We all have exactly the same amount of time. When it comes to proportioning out time, God gave us all the same proportion. Which means, I think, that we all have the responsibility of taking that particular proportioned time and using it for God. But by far the comment, more than anything else that's made is, I don't have time, I'm too busy. As if you've only got 10 hours and somebody else has 24. But we all, every one of us, gets 24. And you say, well, Kelly, you don't understand. I do understand. You get 24. And I get 24. That's what I understand. Now, here is what can be said And here is what, I mean, this is one way certainly to think of it. You, when you get your 24, you make decisions about what you're going to do with the 24. Now that becomes disproportionate. That, all of a sudden, is when we're not exactly the same. Because people will say, well, I need to spend my 24 doing this. And somebody else says, I need to spend my 24 doing this. But that isn't, I don't have enough time, because we all have the same amount of time. What that is, is somebody saying, I'm making a choice. I'm making a choice about my priorities. I'm making a choice about what's important to me. I'm making a choice about how I'm going to spend my time. That's all it is. Now, it could be that somebody, like, for example, the doctor who is doing surgery on Rebecca Hammond's sister-in-law right now, it could be that he said, I've got a priority that makes it more important for me to be here right now than anywhere else. And I get that. We all have to make those kind of choices. And there are times when those choices are absolutely legitimate. But it's not because I don't have enough time. It's because I'm making some kind of choice about what I'm going to do with my time. And we all have, proportionately, a choice to make. And so part of what I'm doing this morning is asking you the question, how is it that you prioritize your time? How is it that you decide to do this? What we say sometimes is, I'm not going to serve in that way because I'm choosing to use my time in other ways. 
But that's what really is going on. In fact, that's what we should say. So the next time somebody calls and says, can you do this in the church? Rather than saying, I'm sorry, I don't have time. What you need to say is, I'm sorry, I'm choosing to spend my time other than that. Because that really is what's happening. And sometimes your choice is absolutely appropriate. And sometimes eh, you need to think that through. And if you think to yourself, do I really need to think that through? Like, Kelly, come on, aren't you asking an awful lot? I'm not the one who wrote this parable. I'm not the one who says to the servant at the end, you lazy, good for nothing. Jesus is the one who says that, not me. So two servants wisely put their talents to work and make the master happy. And in response, the master gives them even more responsibility and more privilege. But what are the words that he uses to describe them? This is interesting. He says about these servants who do well, good and faithful. Their responses are not just acceptable, they are praised. They're given the gracious gift of talents, and then they respond, and they're praised, and they're said to be faithful. Well, what does it sound to you then like we would call the person who is not responding the way the first two servants responded? Unfaithful. I don't see how you can call it anything else. And then isn't it interesting that the servants who do receive the blessing at the end, isn't it interesting the, the, the specific language that the master uses? He says, come and enter with me into my happiness. That's fascinating. What we have are some people who say, I'm going to be faithful, and they serve, and they end up being happy because they serve. And here's the point I'd like to make with that, because I think it's significant. When we spend much of our time trying to achieve happiness in all kinds of ways, other than by doing the master's work, when all the while the things we really want come to us through focusing on the responsibility and privilege we have received from the master and responding with committed service. That, I think, is crucial to get. We spend so much of our time trying to achieve some semblance of happiness to the point where we say, I can't do the Lord's work. I don't have time. I'm trying to make myself happy in other ways. And all the while, the way that you will be happy is to enter into his work. And it's when you say, I don't have time. I'm spending my time in other ways. That is when you end up miserable. And we beat ourselves to death trying to be happy, running around, trying to somehow achieve something that will give us peace. And all the while the Lord is saying, if you would just serve me, you would find the peace that you're seeking. Come, join me in my happiness. And we say, no, I'm busy. Can you imagine saying to the Lord, I'm busy. God, I don't have time for you. I'm busy. I'm trying to achieve some kind of happiness. I'm busy. And all the while God is saying, can you possibly achieve a happiness greater than what I will provide you in my service? But we try it other ways. And so this is also, of course, directly connected to what I said earlier about time. 
The reason we say we don't have time is because we fill our time with all kinds of things other than His work. And then we say we don't have time to carry out the responsibilities of the Master. And our, our logic here betrays us. It's just so backwards from what God is saying is the truth about the way the world works. Now, I I want us to look finally here at the response of the slothful servant and see what's really going on with this character. I want you to look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. How does this unfaithful servant's faithlessness manifest itself? Well, it specifically says that this fellow is afraid. And this morning I want to ask the question, afraid of what? What is he afraid of? And ultimately, I think, what he's afraid of is that the master's kind of harsh. He's afraid of failure. He's afraid he's not going to be able to please the master. And so he's not about to risk the talent that he has received in some kind of sketchy investment, possibly. And in this case, his fear is directly contrasted to the faithfulness of the other servants. And so here's what's happening. The parable describes the third servant's fear and failure ultimately as a lack of faith. And here's what we have a lack of faith in. It seems to me like we have a lack of faith in God to actually make us happy when we pour ourselves into his work. Because if we really had faith in the Lord and that he was really going to fulfill us, all that time we spend doing all those other things we would spend that time instead serving Him because we would have confidence that He is the one who ultimately is going to give us our satisfaction and peace. It's a lack of faith when I say, "Uh, I don't have time. Because what you're saying is, I don't have time because there's all these other things i got to get done instead. And all the while, Jesus is saying, if you just give me your time, then all those things that you're striving after, I would give you peace about all this. And we don't. And so it ultimately comes down, it seems to me, to a lack of belief. A lack of faith causes the servant to be unwilling to work and to risk. Isn't that why we spend so much time doing other things? Ultimately, we think that they're going to be satisfying. They're going to be ha- uh, create happiness for us. They're going to meet some need that we have or, the, or even the needs of others that we're trying to serve, and all the while God is just saying, serve me first, and all this other stuff will fall into line. We simply don't trust that the blessings God offers are better than the blessings we think that we can achieve here by focusing on ourselves, it seems to me. We simply don't trust that the blessings of God offers are better than the blessings we think we can achieve here by focusing on ourselves. And so we focus on ourselves. And again, me too. I do this. 
I find myself sometimes caught up in something which is, in the big scheme of things, totally worthless. And meanwhile, some of the things of God go unattended. And all I'm doing is hurting myself, hurting the kingdom, and not really accomplishing the master's work. And so we all have, I think, some kind of responsibility to think about the things that we do, the ways we spend our time, the priorities that we have, without simple rationalization. Like, it's so easy for us to just rationalize everything we do. And this morning, I'm asking you not to rationalize it, but to think seriously about the decisions you make, the priorities you set, the the ways in which you use your time, and ask yourselves, are these the priorities of God? Because we are His servants first. And He has blessed us with this wonderful talent of grace in Jesus. How are we going to respond to what God has given us? Let's pray. Lord, this is, uh, this is hard for every one of us. The world has such a grip on our lives. There are so many distractions. There are so many things that we establish as priorities. We have voices that shout at us all the time about what our priorities should be and what's important, what we should think of as being a, 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 an emphasis and a focus in our lives. And all the while, God... We know that you and your work, that that's what you want to be our focus. And so help us, Father, to do some discerning, some introspection, to evaluate, and to see see the ways in which we can set things aside that are really nothing more than attempts by us to be happy, which aren't going to do anything in comparison to serving you. Help us to set those aside and to serve you. And we thank you, God, that you promise that if we make that choice, that you will bless us. We await your blessing as we serve you together. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.